Good morning. Well, that was a good time of worship, wasn't it? That was good. Well, we're, I want to begin by reviewing 2015 here at Salem Fields Community Church. Rich told you a little bit about it. Um, Kelly told you a little bit about it. But at the beginning of the year, January, we began to focus on Matthew 6.33, laid a foundation with that verse to say, let's put God first. Let's focus on putting him and his ways, his message, his kingdom first in our lives. And so we began January, and that's what we did. We focused on what it meant to uh, put God first. Let's read this together. Seek first... Okay, now what I want you to do is tattoo that on your heart, okay? Take that away. Let's say it together. Seek. That's pretty good, but I think the 9 o'clock has you beat. <laughs> so here's what you want to do. You want to memorize that verse because when you don't have a Bible or you don't have a screen up there and you're in a tough place and you need to be reminded, you can just say it. When we hide that word in our heart, then we won't sin against him, and we'll also be able to pull that out at any time that we want it. And so uh, make sure you do that. So we laid the foundation with that verse, Matthew 6, and then at the end of January, we had our first revival. Now, a lot of people think that was just an event. It wasn't. Revival is still on, baby. It's still on. God is still moving. He's still working. I don't know what he's doing in your life, but he's doing an incredible thing in my life. From December until April, it has been an amazing ride, and I've seen his hand, and he's been there with me every step of the way. And so we had a revival. Many people responded to that. And then in February, we focused on putting worship first. It's the, it's the disciplines of the Christian faith, worshiping God and, and uh, seeing worship as 24-7, and that it's not something we just come in here and do and sing music or, or sing songs. It's it's a, a way that we give our lives to God. We focused on that. In March, we focused on Bible reading. Now, I don't know if you took advantage of this, but I did. I went to that website every morning, and Rich had laid out a Bible reading plan. And I got to tell you, uh, whether I felt like it or not, many mornings I didn't feel like it. But I got, that, got my Bible out, and I read it. Well, I got my app out, and I read it. And it, it made a complete difference in my day. I was able to enter into that day no matter what happened, no matter what was going on inside of me. It prepared me for that day. So uh, now April is all about prayer, and I hope you'll take advantage of what Kelly is preparing for you on the website. You can go there and, and find that. I know that I will because I want to incorporate those things into my life. Now here's the thing. Here at Salem Fields, we can provide opportunities for you, but we can't make you take that next step. That really is your choice. That really is, you know, this Christian faith is volun it's, it, it's volunteer. Uh, it, there's no coercion. There's no you have to do this. It's all your choice. You get to choose to do whatever it takes to, to grow and, and learn, or you don't. And uh, I kind of, it makes it tough, but I kind of like that. So uh, I thought since last week, over 230 people made a decision for Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what, uh, what service that was, but I got to tell you, one of it, that table, people stood there for quite a while to receive that band 
and to allow Bobby to tell them what just happened in their life. And people made a decision. They accepted his forgiveness, and, and they received new life. And I can tell you, uh, God had promised me through this Easter season that you, you, the cross happens, but after that, there's the resurrection and there's new life. And he promises us new life in Christ if we engage in that relationship with him. And surely that's happening in my life. I hope it is for you. But because people made that decision, I thought it'd be a good time to look at what happens next. Now, this is not just for people that have made a new decision to enter into a relationship with Christ. This is for everyone who at some point in their life asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins and said that they, they, they received his forgiveness and uh, they said they believe in the resurrection. This is for every single one of us at some point. That happened for me when I was 18 years old. And if you have had that experience, it's for, this message is for all of us. Because we're going to look at what it means to be a disciple. And uh, so we're, uh, we're going to look at, you know, not only those that, that just received, but those of us that he continues to transform there was a Russian comedian. His name was Yakov Smirnov. Say that. Now, what do you think of when you hear that? Vodka. We don't drink it, right? But we know that label. <laughs> Yakov Smirnov. And here's what he said when he came to America, when he came to U.S., he, he wasn't prepared for the variety of all the instant products that there were in the grocery stores. He went on his first shopping trip, and he saw instant milk. You just add water, you have milk. He saw instant orange juice. You add water, you get orange juice. And then he saw baby powder. You just add water, you get a baby. He said, what a country. Wow. <laughs> with that in mind, with that in mind, be reminded that we just can't add water and become an instant disciple. It just doesn't work that way. In America, it's typical to think that we can accept Christ and then we can go to church now and then and we can read a few Bible verses and say a few prayers and that's all good and, and we're good to go. Or we think that we can just continue on living the way that we live B.C., which is before Christ, and it'll all just work out. But when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice and when he invited people everyone, including the disciples, including us here today, when he asked people to join him, he was looking for followers who were, who were willing to learn a different way of life than what they had always known, than the world all around them. He wanted followers that would say, I want to learn a different way because his kingdom was completely upside down from the world's kingdom. And he was looking for people like that. And he was looking for people that would understand that it was really going to be tough sometimes to live this life. That it wasn't going to be easy. Because every relationship is tough, isn't it? If we have any quality relationships, it's because we've had to really work on that thing and we really had to go through some stuff and we had to be patient. All of that, any relationship is tough. And so he was looking for people like that. And Jesus said, 
You know, I love how the king of the universe can bring things down to make them very, very simple for us to understand. And Jesus said, follow me. He simply said, follow me. But here's what I want to ask you today, every single one of us. What does that mean? What does it mean to follow him? Does it simply mean that I call myself a Christian? Or is, a diff- is there a difference between saying, I'm a Christian, and being a true disciple of Jesus Christ? This is kind of where the lines draw. There was an ABC poll, and it said that 83% of Americans, this is current, some 247 million people call themselves Christian in America. It's the largest Christian claim uh, population in the world. Yet here's the thing I was thinking about when I saw that poll and that, those numbers. If the message of Christ is love your neighbor and your enemy, if it's forgive one another, if it's build one another up, not tear each other down, build one another up. If it's one of reconciliation where people in conflict come together and they extend a hand of forgiveness and ask to be forgiven, if this is the message of Christ and 83% of Americans are calling themselves Christians, wouldn't our country be getting better? Wouldn't this place be packed? Like Phil on Duck Dynasty said, somebody's lying. (laughs) must be. Because it seems in in America that Christianity is equated just with doing some good things and being really nice and not losing your temper out in the traffic. It's related to that much more than this gritty determination to follow Jesus, to follow our leader, the one who saved us and forgave us of our sins. This gritty determination to follow Jesus at any cost. To be his disciple and to change me. You know, that goes completely against how we do relationships. Because I know in my relationship with Buddy for years, I wanted him to change. I wanted him to make it easier for me. He wanted me to change. I want that person out on the roadway to drive better so I don't have to deal with that terrible driving that they do. We want other people to change. But his message was, change me. So today, I want to offer this challenge to each one of us who call ourselves a Christian or a follower of Christ or a disciple. What does that really mean in your life? I want to challenge you with this question. I've accepted Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to be a true disciple? You know, I invited my staff to come and sit where I could see them, and they've done that throughout the weekend because you guys here are just a bonus because we're going to talk about this in our staff meeting tomorrow morning for each one of us as we lead. What does it mean for us to be a disciple? And we're going to take a look at that. The word disciple means student or learner. And in Jesus' day, see, what I learned also about this uh, uh, being a disciple is that you never graduate. You never get to the point where you say, oh, I've done it all and I've received my paper and now I'm a disciple. No, a learner and a student goes on forever. No matter what age you are, 
there's still something to learn about Jesus and, and his kingdom. In Jesus' day, people didn't go to college. You want to be a tent maker? Well, you sign up as an apprentice. You sign up as a disciple, and you become a tent maker. You watch the master. You want to become a shepherd? Well, you sign up with the chief shepherd, and you watch and you learn, and then one day you get your own flock. Any job in that day, you watch, you listen, you learn from the master. I was watching the masters, and I saw one of the guys that, is one, that he's won it three times. I can't even remember his name. Buddy gave it to me last night. And, and I heard him say, they asked him, how, how have you done this? How did you become great? And he said, well, I watched the greats. I watched them. And, and for three and a half years, the disciples traveled with Jesus, and they followed him wherever he went, and they watched him, and they listened, and they observed, and they asked questions, and they, they were drinking in everything their teacher said and did. They watched Jesus. They saw how he was with sick people. They saw how he was with women. They saw how he was with children. They watched him. And Jesus said to them, be like me. Just watch me. Watch, observe. And Jesus had this three-part training plan for his disciples and you and I as well. First of all, learn by watching. Watch. Watch the master. How does the master do it? How does he do that? Secondly, do it. Do what he does. Watch him, then do it. And thirdly, teach and show others. And Jesus gave them, the disciples, and he gives us today the great commission. He said, go, make disciples, and teach them everything that I've commanded you. And he's still asking every disciple that he calls today the very same thing. He says, watch me. See, we get our eyes on people, but all we have to do is watch the master, Jesus, and develop an intimate relationship with him. And he says, watch me and learn and grow and mature. Jesus was also very clear about the lifestyle that he wanted his disciples to live. And so he went up on the Sermon on the Mount and it brought back I can't even believe I got to go up on the Mount of Beatitudes and sit where Jesus sat, where he gathered his disciples. Now, the crowds came, but he wasn't about the crowds. He was about his disciples that he called to follow him, and he brought them together because he was going to teach them how to live. And they listened to the master. And he gave his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like our Constitution is in our country. You know, our Constitution tells the laws and our rights. Well, this is the Constitution of our Christian faith. It tells us how to live, the guidelines of how to live. And Jesus gathered his disciples and he began to teach them. And he teaches us. And he began with these eight, what, he, what we call the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes were kind of like the preamble to the Constitution. And if you don't know history or whatever, what that is is something that comes before and leads to something else. So in other words, with these Beatitudes, we have the first one, and that leads to the second one, to the third one, to the fourth one, to the fifth one, all the way through to the eighth one. And whether we're just beginning our walk as new disciples or we've been one for a long time, I was saved when I was 18, so I've been walking this walk for a long time. This is the best 
job description in the New Testament that we have from Jesus himself about how to live and what he calls us to. Now, I listen to this guy when I don't actually want to read the Bible, so let's listen to what Jesus says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we're seeking him, if we're seeking his kingdom, then we have to tie in very, very closely to these eight statements. And they serve two important roles in the life of a disciple. First of all, Jesus teaches us that the inner person, our character, is more important to him than anything that we do. It's more important than going to church. It's more important than anything. Who we are as a person and how much we allow him to transform us and change us within us is what he's looking for. It's, the, it's what defines us as a disciple. These character qualities define us as a disciple. So I want you to do a little inventory in your own self as I go through these and think about are you simply calling yourself a Christian or have you truly decided that you're going to be his disciple and follow him? First, become, When you first become a disciple by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you accept his forgiveness and you trust him as your Savior, you are the poor in spirit. You want me to tell you why? Because you humbled yourself. You didn't care what your, your pride was crucified. You weren't responding to your insecurity. You weren't responding to your arrogance. You were humbled and you came before God and you didn't care what anybody else thought. What you wanted was Jesus. I remember when I stood up in my college chapel and I had lived a life my freshman year and I carried the burden of that sin in my life. And when I stood up among my peers, I didn't care what anybody thought. What I wanted was Jesus and his forgiveness in my life. And at that point, I was not responding to my pride at all. Pride was crucified, and that's what Jesus calls us to when we enter into this relationship with him. He said, blessed is the poor in spirit. Well, have you grieved? Have you mourned your sin? Because the sin that we've committed in our life has consequences. Now, he he wipes that sin away, but oftentimes we have the consequences left over. And are we taking personal responses, responsive, uh, responsibility for the poor choices that we made that have consequences in our lives? Are we just saying, well, God forgave me of that and I'm just going to let it go? good example for me was uh, when I got married. I made a choice. I made a decision. I was not living in the will of God. 
I didn't care what anyone said or what anyone did. I wanted to be in control of my life. And I was just having a good time in life. And one day I thought, well, it'd be fun to get married. I didn't seek God's uh, will or his voice in my life. And so I got married. And the day after I got married, I said, dear God, what have I done? <laughs> Please, God, help me. <laughs> I made a mistake, God. <laughs> because I knew that it was so frivolous. But I had been taught that till death do you part. And the day before, I had made a covenant, not just with Buddy, but I made a covenant with God. And I never could find a loophole of how to get out of that covenant. And so I said, God, I'm the one that made this decision. So you and I are going to have to get us through this thing. And I got to tell you, I had to do a lot of changing within me. Oh, believe me, I tried to get Buddy to change. It would have been so much easier for me. <laughs> but I had to do a lot of changing. I had to do a lot of things I didn't want to do. I had to surrender, and I had to submit, and I had to go before the Lord. I had to ask forgiveness, and I felt guilty for the decision I made. And, and I went before him and asked him to forgive me for that. But I said, God, you and I, we're going to get me through this. And I'm going to honor the covenant and the commitment that I made to you, ultimately honoring the covenant and commitment that I made to Buddy. Now, we almost killed each other, but 40 years later, here we are. And God has done miracles in my life personally and in our life together. It's a miracle we're still together. We are the miracle of God. And, and so when we mourn these sins... When we see the consequences of our poor choices, we take responsibility, we ask forgiveness. Are you a person that's doing that? Are you, have you learned to, to be meek? Now, that's not weak. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is when you want to lash out with your tongue or you want to get back with someone, at someone, and you don't. Now, that takes some strength. You realize that, right? Are you meek? Do you have this hunger and thirst for God, for the things of God? Do you wake up in the morning and say, God, I, I, I don't know if I can face this day, and he reminds you, seek me first. Come to me. Go to that website and get the Bible reading, or, or go to what Kelly has posted about prayer, and put me first in this day. Do you have that kind of hunger and thirst? Are you that kind of disciple. Now here's, are you, are you willing to reconcile severed relationships? That doesn't mean maybe come together and be best buddies anymore, but are you willing to extend the hand of reconciliation and restoration in those relationships that have been severed? Are you that kind of disciple? Here's the big one. Do you know how to rejoice when you're persecuted? It seems like when you start at one, that's big, but it just gets ramped up. It doesn't get easier all the way to eight to where the heat is turned up. Rejoice in persecution. Who wants that? Well, that's what Jesus meant when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross daily 
and follow me. See, what we're doing here this morning is counting the cost. Do I just want to be a Christian that maybe was born into a Christian family or lives in America or calls myself Christian? Or we truly want to be his disciple? Because it's not easy. It's tough. And somehow in America, we want it to be easy. I can't tell you how many people will say to me, but that's hard. And I'll go, of course it is. Of course it is. So we're counting the cost. Living this out does not come naturally. Giving up what I want for what God wants brings personal discomfort. It's like Buddy said last week, you just don't wake up in heaven and say, oops, I'm in heaven. How did that happen? No, you get ready. You prepare. Same with the disciple. It doesn't, we don't just wake up one day and say, wow, I'm a mature disciple. No, there's a personal cost. Are you willing to pay that cost? I call it kind of an inner boot camp. But you know what happens? That develops a strength in you that's ironclad that will be able to stand in some of your toughest storms. That's the payoff. But are you willing to do whatever it takes to receive his kingdom? See, we have to give him permission to change me. Instead of griping and complaining about what everyone else is doing to me, I say to God, what do I need to see about myself? Where do you need to change me? What's going on inside of me that my character needs to be developed? That kind of surrender is painful. If we're not experiencing that kind of pain, maybe we have to ask ourselves, am I truly a disciple that is truly following Jesus? Are you willing to endure that kind of pain? Because when he shows us that stuff, oh, it's awful. But that's when we can surrender it to him. And we have to give him the permission. Secondly, the Beatitudes shine a light on the health of our soul. Now, here's the thing you may not like. We humans, we seek happiness. The goal of a disciple is not to be happy. In America, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine. She said, you know, there's a happiness institute somewhere in Brussels or somewhere. And she said, this guy goes around the world, and he's writing a book on the happiest places on the face of the earth. And I said, now that's a job. I would love to have that job. And I'm traveling to uh, Iceland in uh, September with my brother, our No Regrets trip. And uh, she said, Iceland happens to be one of the happiest places that he found. And and, uh, the reason they found out is because they're drunk all the time. They're all drunk. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> but people want to be happy, don't we? We'll say, I'm just not happy in this relationship. I'm just not happy at that church. I'm just not happy. And so what we do then, and this is a worldly mentality, is I'll change that person in my life, or I'll change that church, or I'll change that job, or I'll change that spouse, and somehow think that's going to make me happy. That's a worldly mentality. What God says, the goal of a disciple isn't to be happy, but to be blessed. And we find that in what Jesus is telling us. And to be blessed is to have a healthy soul. 
Happiness is an emotion that's going to go up and down. Of course we want to be happy. I'm going to go ride that roller coaster in Charlotte my brother and I are going to, and it's one of the fastest ones in the world, and I think when I get off, I'm going to feel real happy. <laughs> I'm going to love it. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, the next day, I'm not going to have the happiness of that thing. I might tell a little story and be fun, but you see what I'm saying? Happiness is an emotion that goes up and down. It depends on our circumstances. It doesn't depend on what happens inside of me. But as a follower of Jesus, there's something more important than my happiness. A, a disciple wants to have a healthy soul filled with him. The Beatitudes comes from a Latin word for blessed, not happy. The root idea is being approved by God. Now, Max Licato has a book, and he describes this idea. It's called The Applause of Heaven. And he kind of gives this word picture. He said, God applauds the poor in spirit. He cheers the mourners, those that will grieve over their sin. He favors the meek. He smiles upon the hungry. He honors the merciful. He welcomes the pure in heart. He claps for the peacemakers that extend the hand of reconciliation. He rises to greet the persecuted. See, a true disciple lives for the applause of God, an audience of one. When everybody else around you may not understand, may not get it, may be pressing in hard on you, but you know that you know that you know that you're allowing him to change you from the inside out. And you've given him permission to change your heart instead of changing your circumstances and changing the other people in your life. A true disciple, kingdom living, is living for the approval of God. A disciple embraces these beatitudes. Persecution, meek, he embraces these beatitudes and allows them to radically change him or her. Change me, God. You know, uh, Facebook did a little change on me, and I don't like it. I do this poke thing, and the reason, the only reason I do that, don't poke me, okay? <laughs> I mean, that sounds horrible, <laughs> but don't. I only do it with a couple of people, and the people that I do it with is because I'm, I'm trying to keep track of them. I have a college student in Harrisonburg, and if she doesn't poke and stay in touch that way, I'll text her and I'll say, now, Grace, you haven't poked, and she'll start poking again. I don't have to talk to her on a daily basis. I just know she's there and she's okay. I do that with Christian, and I don't have to talk to him every day. If he goes like three days and doesn't poke, there's a problem, and I'll give him a text, and I'll say, Christian, are you okay? You see what I'm saying? Now, what they did was they changed that on me. I can't just push the notification and go to all my pokes. They're sending me somewhere else. I don't like that. Facebook, you need to change back to fit me. <laughs> but I don't think they're going to do that. I have to adapt and adjust and learn. And I have to be the one that changes in order to fit that. You get it? That's painful for me. That makes me mad because I want them to change. When we get mad, it's because we want them to change instead of saying, Lord, change me, and he will. The real question, I guess, is how much am I seeking God's approval more than my friends and my family's approval, more than people at my work, more than that person that's closest to me I want Buddy to approve of me, 
But sometimes he may not when I'm trying to get God's approval. So we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to take up that cross? Am I taking up that cross to follow him? It's a determination. It's a choice. It's a decision to put God and his kingdom first no matter what. And that's not easy. Some mornings I got up and I didn't feel like going to read my Bible. But you know what? I just pushed myself. It was there. It was the opportunity for me. And I did it and it changed me. You see, this very first beatitude, the poor in spirit, is the foundation of the following seven. It's our entrance into the kingdom. And we have a reward for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. Now, here's the world's mentality. All you have to do is watch TV shows, go to your workplace, whatever. It's a top dog kind of mentality. It's an American Idol kind of mentality where one has to be at the top. It says, I need to be strong. Blessed are the strong, the mighty, the rich, the influential, the popular, the gifted. You ask little kids and they'll say, who do you want to be like? And they'll talk about somebody that's a top star in something that makes lots of money. And I listen to that and I get really concerned because our minds at a very young age get saturated with a world mentality. I need to be beautiful. I need to be gifted because then I will gain power. I will gain favor and people will love me and I'll have a following and they will admire me. And then we begin this pursuit of wealth and influence and popularity. But here's the thing. Seeking God's kingdom is exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite of this world mentality that we're saturated with every day of our life. And if you look at your, yourself, you'll see how much you've been influenced by it. And Jesus said, if you truly want to be my disciple, I'm looking for people who will allow me to change you from the inside out to live by a different kingdom than this world that you live in on a daily basis that has such power over you. When you received Christ and you humbled yourself before God, you were poor in spirit. It's the first and foundational quality of a disciple. It's where life of the disciple begins. And the gritty truth is that if you live and if you mature in the kingdom and you choose to take this walk with him, it will surely lead to number eight. If you stand on the word, you'll be insulted and ridiculed. And you may not have as many friends. Are you ready for that? Are you a disciple willing to commit and learn and live by these beatitudes? It's a tough question for all of us. I think in our day today, we're finding fewer and fewer and fewer people who are truly willing to do this. And here's the thing. It is impossible for you to do that alone. We were not designed to be an island and, and just become a disciple on our own. It cannot work that way. 
After I was saved and received uh, Jesus Christ as my personal savior in college, um, they suggested, well, now you get baptized. And I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. And I had this most meaningful baptism. The college chaplain and a few of my friends, we met together, and I got on my knees. And um, it, in my tradition, it was just to sprinkle water. It's not like we do now. I think it's awesome when people get dunked and come up and we celebrate. Uh, but for me, in my tradition, it was to, to sprinkle my head, and it was so meaningful. And God had done something amazing in my life. And when I got up from there, I was a sophomore in college. And I didn't know, and nobody told me that you need to get connected to the body. And so I just kind of reveled in this experience that happened to me, and I didn't get connected. And I finished out that year, and the next year I went to Philadelphia, and I went to Temple University, and I loved that city. And I started doing fun things. I did concerts and went down to South Street and had to do a little schoolwork, but that was beside the point. <laughs> but I, and then I got some friends that introduced me to some things that went completely counter to what I knew I probably should be doing. And it was fun, and I started having fun again and didn't even think about it. And I began to slowly drift away like a like a leaf thrown on a lazy river. It's very comfortable, but you just drift away very slowly until one day you turn around and you say, how did I get here? I had that great experience, but there is no way I'm living that. I had class 401, and I had a group of people in there writing their stories, and I said, how many people can relate to that story that I just told, that you were saved and you were baptized maybe and, and then you didn't get connected and before you knew it, you had drifted away. Every single person raised their hand except for one and she was just saved and she just signed up to, do a, to get connected. She had, she, every, everyone else had had a salvation experience years ago and had drifted away until they came back to the Lord. So part of why I wanted to do this message today was to say to you, a lot of people are forsaking the church, but God designed the church, the body of Christ, and that's not an organization, that's me and you. We are the church. He designed it so that we would be connected to one another. We cannot do this on our own. There is such an importance of connection. I want you to learn from my experience. When I drifted away, I got involved in all kinds of things until I came back to the Lord at the age of 26. And from that point on, I put my stake down and I determined and I decided that I was going to go with him. No turning back. And I'd do whatever it took to be a disciple of his because I was so thankful for what he did in my life and the and the protection that he gave to my life. We were designed to have relationship. That's how God designed human beings. Vertically with God and horizontally with each other. And make no mistake, the body of Christ, the church, us, 
is what God designed in the New Testament for us to connect to, to learn and grow and become a disciple. We cannot do it without that. Even in Colossians, it tells about drifting away and not being connected and the danger of it. It said, and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments. Think of a, think of a physical body, the joints and ligaments hold it together, and it grows as God nourishes it. And in Hebrews, it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now. People are falling away from the church. There are people that are called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that say, I'm done with church. And you can see it. I've watched it over the period of 20 years, how people are giving up on church. Please encourage them. It's God, it's Jesus' way of connecting us to the head. He is the head. See, this body here at Salem Fields, years ago, 20 years ago, God broke mine and Buddy's heart to reach people for Christ. And along with that came his command to us to make disciples. And we've honored that and been faithful to that. And so here's the thing. We also know the responsibility to give you opportunities if you're not, if you're not connected, to give you an opportunity so you're not like that leaf thrown on the lazy river that will drift away and one day not show up here ever again. We can give you the opportunities, but we cannot make you take that step. Only you can do that. So we're giving you opportunities for connection. The first thing would be, have you been baptized? If you haven't been baptized, that would be your next step. Now, May 31st, we're going to have one of those celebration services, and you can get dunked. You can even get a new T-shirt. It's free. We give those to you when you get baptized. That's an incentive. And, and so that would be your next step. Mark that on your connection card or go out to the Welcome Center and tell people you want to be baptized May 31st. Um, I'm really sad Jody and I have to be here because Buddy just, uh, Buddy and the two little ones, did Jason go? Oh, okay. Um, they went, uh, Christian, our grandson, uh, he was baptized when he was, I think, four or five years old. I have a little picture. I look at that, and it was out at the Anderson's pool, and it was really meaningful and really special because he read his little testimony, and he said, I want to be baptized. It was really neat. Well, now he's an adult. He's 20 years old, and God has placed some kind of call on his life, and he's answering that call. And today, he told us, he said he's at, he lives in Richmond, and he has a church there that he loves, and he's connected with it and, and um, uh, serving there. And uh, he said, I'm getting baptized. And I said, oh, man, I want to be there. Can't you change it? You can change it so that we can all be there for the weekend. And he said, you know, I looked in the Bible, and he said, sometimes you just have to leave your family behind. <laughs> and so that's what he did. So we're here. We didn't get to see it. They had it at 1030 this morning. That is such a special thing in your life. If you haven't been baptized, that's your next step. But here's the one that made all the difference for Buddy and I. After we came back to the Lord, we were at a church, and we got connected. We had a, a man in the church came to our house once a week, 
And we had this eight-week basic Bible study. We still use it today because we believe in this thing and it's so powerful. And Buddy and I would take, each, each of us had one, we would take this eight-week Bible study, we would open our Bibles, we would look up these scriptures, we would write, answer the questions, and then this man would come and he'd go over with them. I cannot tell you how that grounds you in the Word of God. It grounds you. If you've been a believer for 20 years and you never did this, I would encourage you to do a one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Bobby has a table out there, and you can sign up, and he'll connect you with somebody that works for you. We've had some uh, mentors that have done that. has been really powerful in the lives of people. If you've never done that, you've got to get grounded in what the Word says. Do that. If you're not in a small group and you don't like one-on-one -on -one and you want to do a little more of a small group kind of thing, there's opportunity for you to sign up with the small group there too. If you want to uh, connect through volunteering or take a class, go to the Welcome Center and they can help you with that. But I am encouraging you. I am, I am, I am really uh, prodding you to get connected to the body of Christ. It is absolutely essential if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. As a staff tomorrow morning, uh, uh, Kelly told you, on Monday mornings we come together and we line up across here and we pray for ourselves, we pray for you. And uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. I asked them all to be here so that we could discuss, are we truly living as a disciple? Because we haven't earned the credibility to lead you until we do this assessment on ourselves. And so we'll be doing that tomorrow morning. And uh, so here's the thing. God first and kingdom living. Being a disciple develops eyes of faith that sees the invisible. You can never have the impossible until you're able to see the invisible with eyes of faith. Where trust in God and what he says is your way of life. It's your way of life. It's not something you're cramming into the extra little time that you have. You're putting him first. Being a disciple means changing me and growing to look more like Christ and allowing him to transform me. And we cannot do it alone. So what's your next step? I don't care how long you've been a believer. There's a next step. Yesterday as I was preparing this message, God showed me mine. It was a beautiful time, a beautiful time for me when I allowed him, gave him permission to show me. And I know my next step. I know mine. Connecting is what every disciple needs to do, what we need to be. And I suspect that throughout this last hour, half hour, whatever it is, that God has probably shown you what your next step is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for how your word speaks to our hearts. And I thank you, Jesus, for how clear you've been in what it means to be your disciple. People that you're looking for to carry your message and to show the transformation in our lives of what you can do. I thank you, God, for my marriage and how you've changed us. But I also know, Lord, that standing on the word often brings persecution. But God, you promised that when we put you first, 
You develop a strength of character within us that can endure anything with you. And I thank you for that. And so, Father, I pray this morning for hearts that will receive and not just receive, but obey this message of kingdom living to truly take up their cross and follow you. God, here's what I know. As I've read through the Bible, I've never found a promise that said it would be easy. But I do find that you tell us that we will be blessed. A healthy heart, a healthy soul full of you. So I pray, Lord, this morning that each one of us, online or in this room, will count the cost and answer that question. Am I just calling myself a Christian? Or have I truly chosen to follow him? Do whatever he asks to decide and to obey and to take that next step. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts right now about that next step, whatever it might be, and that each person would respond. Thank you, Father, for what you've shown me, for what you've done in me that I couldn't have done myself. So let's stand together and let's worship. And this is just a declaration on your part. And I saw hands go up all over this room. We were singing Amazing Grace. There are a lot of people here today that truly want to be God's disciple. And this song is simply just a declaration that says, I've put my stake down. I am going to follow him. And I am not turning back. So let's sing together. I have Follow Jesus, no turning.